one must behave like a good noodle. I'm a good noodle! I'm a good noodle! You'll get this star back when you earn it. <laughs> Many months later. The cops behind us! Drive crazy! Boys and girls, have a seat. It is time for the September-themed edition of Nick's Nonfiction. We're heading back to school here with your host, comic Nick Muniz. I'm your English teacher today. No, I'm not going to get pregnant and then miss out on half the school year. Michelle Jelfin has spent a couple decades in academia. She's going to be our authority figure on who are the rule makers and who are the rule breakers. Why will people wait for a walk sign at 3 a.m. in Berlin and you go to Boston after dark? It's a parade of drunk jaywalkers. How come the driver of a Jaguar is more likely to run a red light than the driver of a plumber's van? Why don't plumbers just wear overalls? Why will one spouse prize a tight ship while the other refuses to sweat the small stuff? Why do New Zealand's women have the highest number of sexual partners? Why do I not live there? How come Google employees wear graphic tees, Swiss bankers got a 50-page dress code? Michelle is taking us around the world to look at these tight versus loose women, I mean cultures. We're learning about behavior by continent. It's an 11-chapter book at a quicker pace, so we'll be able to slip more slurs in there. Michelle thinks understanding how these cultures need room to breathe can help prevent violence in the long run. There's a theme overarching the entire program. What could I speak to with the rule breakers in a stand-up audience? The hecklers are always burying themselves in the middle, hiding under a mask. The front, you're going to have the groaners and the sires, and in the back, those people are the ones pumping in the laughs. You know, professors have this all worked out. The row one through three are the students who will blow me during office hours. <laughs> you know who the breakers and who the makers are in every single culture. We'll go back to medieval times, have you talk about social norms today, and the power of shame should be a fun show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you're checking out the Patreon. There's unreal content going over there. Um, breathtaking beauty. Mother Nature fully exposed. Take it away, sponsors. Ever gone mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you believe in the power of a curse? Have you had your hearing tested lately? Planning a trip soon? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? Have you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become? Are you careful with your personal records? Does your computer ever seem to have a mind of its own? Have you ever visited a Chinatown section in a major city? Have you ever visited a flea market? Have you ever visited a truck stop? Did you ever have a job as a waiter? Have you noticed how many successful restaurants are theme-based these days? About the author... Ms. Gelfand, she is a cultural psychologist, specializes in cultural norms and repercussion within certain groups. It sounds like it's going to be a little bit about crime, rule makers and rule breakers. I guess I didn't help my case making the thumbnail of toddler getting 50 card chased. <laughs> this is more about racism today than it is about putting granny in the slammer. Honorary professor at the University of Maryland College Park, studied psychology at Colgate in the late 80s. She wrote academic texts throughout the 90s, more like textbooks type of stuff. Advances in Culture and Psychology, the Handbook of Negotiation and Culture. Also president of the International Association of Conflict Management since 2009. What are they, taking a decade off? Nations are conflicting quite hard. Michelle's credited with inventing the academic term, tight, loose culture. Our book today is from 2018, Cutting Edge. 11 chapters, I said. First part of the book aims to prove humans have an underlying social force among us. Among us! Three parts to this thing, which we'll get to after another word from our sponsors.
If you can say Biden, Biden, and you can say Clinton, Clinton, and you can say Pelosi, Pelosi, you can say Trump. Fruit Loop. Say his name. Fruit Loop. Say his name correctly. Fruit Loop. And welcome back, Michelle Gelfand, Rulemakers, Rule Breakers, Chapter One: Cure for Chaos. She starts us off with a picture of a lawless dystopia. People enjoying sex in public. Block parties going down. Restaurants can be open whenever they want. I figured she was just describing Portugal here. She's saying this is a world without social norms. New Year's Eve. It's a global holiday, but every single custom celebrates it differently. In Spain, they eat the 12 grapes. You have a spoonful of lentils and chili for good luck. In New York City, you stand in Times Square and piss on your friend's leg to stay warm. Scotland, you're swinging flaming barbed wire over your head all over the world. People file into stadiums to watch singers, dancers, people tell jokes. She's saying we have these similar cultures even though we're all so different. First study she chose for the book to use was one that proved norm violation detection precedes language. Before you even know how to say mama, dada, you know how to point a finger at your sister and snitch on them. These deep ingrained ways to try and fit in is your number one protection mechanism. You could go to China, bring a fork there, and people start looking at you like you're an alien. This transcends language, this nonverbal communication of, hey, we eat with sticks in this country. Not only do kids pick up on the cues, but then they learn how to enforce them. You got a group of five-year-olds playing together, and they're doing cops and robbers. Michelle is saying science proved this by chimpanzees learning nuances in six-step puzzles. And the chimps would get mad if one of the guys did the puzzle out of order. Managers, just like this. It doesn't matter if you get the job done, you have to do it their special way. She cited a pretty cool 1956 study. When you know that other people are taking the same exam as you, you start to second-guess your answers, even if they're not in the room. If you're pretending to be sick and you went to the nurse's office, and then the next day you have to take the test by yourself, you still have that whatever thing it is telling you, are you sure? I think everybody else picked C or D here. Well, this question definitely has to be a trick. At the end of the test, everybody says, well, I wasn't thinking about it. I was taking my own test. The control group for that study was like individual people took their own tests. Their scores went down when they then went into the group to take the test. You can see already where the rule breaker mentality stands out. Most people would rather fail as a group than take a chance and fail as an individual. We're all failing. <laughs> In places like Kumamela, they walk on hot coals. These are binding activities that have no benefit. So maybe that's what school was for. We all fail together, comrade. <laughs> Any shared experience creates cohesion. This is why Navy SEALs will try to drown themselves together. As groups, we hunt better. In warfare, even mass cleanups, there's power in numbers. The rest of the chapter was about her academic term, normative autopilot. And this is how you go to work without even thinking about it. Same way you follow traffic without thinking about it, you follow the herd. And you see this as a paradox. Norms can be a secret to success while they endlessly incite conflict on a global scale. So these were quicker ones. Chapter 2, Have We Changed? 1994, this Ohio kid was vandalizing Singapore. He did some theft, pulled off some vandalism, threw eggs at cop cars. <laughs> Why would you do this in Singapore? You got to go to Kowloon, the friggin' lawless city of China. He was sentenced to four months in prison, got a $4,000 fine, and four cane strokes to the back. <laughs> I wish our justice system threw in a little more stonings here and there. New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times are all up in arms. We don't do this in America. More recent, you got that auto warm beer kid, frat legend, went to North Korea, got sent to a boot camp. He came back over here with rickets, all because he tore down a propaganda poster. Down south, you get a PBA card from the cops if you're... 
golfing Biden Harris signs. <laughs> this Ohio kid, he started this global conversation. Should you be beheaded for having a beer in the Middle East? <laughs> Let's try out Sharia law. Singapore is a straight up Jewish ghetto. It's like one of these cancer neighborhood Kowloon type of places. Michelle was saying in Singapore, you're not allowed to have alcohol from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. There's a $10,000 fine for spitting in the street. She said Singapore is the tightest culture on earth. You're getting your labia cut off just because you're a woman in Saudi Arabia. Sure, shame equals power. The USA has abandoned shame. Big is beautiful. Tell your grandma during Thanksgiving about your furry fetish. Bring your tent into Starbucks. No shame. I said in the intro, they don't have this shame in New Zealand. The average number of sexual partners a woman has there is 20. And I'm booking my ticket. And you know that means it's at least 30. The girls, they divide their age by two and that's their number. <laughs> New Zealand was like crazy in Pornhub viewership, she said. And then second highest per capita was America. Michelle cited the Journal of Science in 2011. They administered a survey asking people to rank how strict they thought their own culture was. So obviously this has some... This is a sociological study, not an epidemiological study. It's looser. So the strictest five people thought they were living within was... Pakistan, Malaysia, India, Singapore, South Korea. So North Korea, what, their Stockholm Syndrome, they love it. We're so free here. And she said the loosest five based on people's own perception, Spain, Australia, America, New Zealand, and Greece. Where is friggin' the Netherlands, the low countries? You know you get incarcerated if you smoke a doobie in America. We're so free. <laughs> the U.S. is like the nerd kid. Yeah, my dad says I'm not allowed to stay up after 11, but we're going to have a great sleepover. She showed some pretty astounding graphs to tie in this idea in the classroom. If you go to like Newark, New Jersey, you got half the kids in the class with headphones on. They're eating hot Cheetos. You take it over to Singapore and the kids get caned four strokes to the back if they can't speed read. Remember that one video of the kid getting thrown out of their desk went viral like two years ago. Black girl gets dragged out by the white security guard. It's insubordination. They need to make an example out of this kid. Can you even fathom doing this if you lived in China? <laughs> Going to the camp with the Yugiers. Both China and America really good at reinforcing authority. I think more of vast differences tight and loose it's like a dilation and a constriction between the cultures but no it has to be black and white if you're gonna get a bestseller going australia has this norm where they keep class disparity in check it's one of the few countries all the chauvinistic people are called tall pot pies aren't you a tall pot pie there mate with your shiny watch, big old calm, fake-titted hag. And then in England, they love classism. Everybody's watching Peaky Blinders, reading Oliver Twist. Can I have some more, sir? Hell no. That's pretty cool. We don't have this in America. Everybody thinks they're a millionaire themselves. We're just disillusioned here. In Australia, they're like, oh, look at you with your big fucking money. No one likes you on the subway. The more you travel, the more you hear the world thinks of Americans as idiots. This is our thing. Act first, think later. Invade first, negotiate later. America, it's tighter than we think. You need to be that unified to have that military edge. I feel like by the end of the 100-year marathon we have with China going, which culture will take over the world? We're just going to get as big of a population as them. I mean, just look at the trends. Wrapping up this chapter, Sparta. It's got to be tighter than Singapore. If you were a baby and they... <laughs> you had a cleft palate, they threw you off a cliff. She said in the book here, interesting fact, you would get ostracized in Sparta for slapstick humor. No! That's the best. A little pratfall here and there. If it's not funny without volume, what are we doing? Leonidas could have dropped a dab on him after he kicked that dude in the hole. <laughs> what had all the Persia laughing... Name of the chapter, Have We Changed? 
George Washington grew his own cannabis. He had his own armory, and he went to war over a 2% tax rate. And he also had slaves. Obviously, we've changed. Chapter 3, Yin and Yang. Michelle says norms rarely change within culture, but the structure has the ability to become more and less loose. Not comparing countries anymore within America by decades. This is like people have been calling the 2020s 80s 2.0. Artists are self-censoring themselves to get the one slot on TV. It doesn't even exist anymore, but that's just how the times go. The 90s was like 70s 2.0. Let's look 50 years ago. Have we changed? Kids wore suits. A hundred years ago, a toddler had a shift at the coal mine. In 2040, it's going to be socially acceptable to be a basement-dwelling 50-year-old. <laughs> we got here another who doesn't follow the pack study. This one's coming out of the Netherlands. And they took it a step further. They had this fake examination. I did one of these in college. I was pissed. They're like, nothing you just spent 20 minutes doing was worth it. Because what comes after the test is the actual psychological evaluation. I got $5 that time to be treated like a lab rat. It's a similar study, though, in the Netherlands. Everybody's riding a bike. While the kid was taking the test, they would put a leaflet on his bike seat. And so listen to this. 70% of those who changed their answer during the test littered the leaflet on their bicycle. And of those who stuck with their answers, only 30% of those people threw the paper on the ground. I mean, you could draw all the conclusions you want out of studies like these. It's an individual basis. Come on here. And what she's trying to show to us is if you're more strong in your structure of thinking and your constitution, you're less likely to litter. Like people who change their answer based on the group are more likely to change their own ways throughout their life. Steve Pinker book, you could read The Better Angels of Our Nature. It shows how like loose cultures are have the ability to phase out violence. I'm trying to bridge this point because this is when she starts going into yin and yang. We have to be peaceful. The point of the book is to not kill each other. As much as I've been knocking it, it's a good question. I don't want to steer into politics. Let's just hit a statistical fact. There is less crime in places where guns are part of the culture. Chirac is the most violent place in America, and guns are outlawed. So to answer her question, how are we going to stop the violence? Making laws and beheading people isn't working. They have super terrorists in the Middle East compared to our gangsters. <laughs> more laws could maybe make it more beneficial to color outside the lines. There's more security cameras in tighter countries, she said. So why are they not safer? because security cameras are for totalitarianism. Michelle's trying to paint this international conundrum where countries with higher religiosity are no longer safer ones. And she tried to group in middle America with this saying hate crimes are high. Like I just said, violent crime. <laughs> Who cares about a fucking burning of a cross? Those people are idiots. They'll be extinct in 20 years. Michelle is trying to group in middle Americans with jihadists. <laughs> Religion isn't the bottom line of what's making people angry. It's probably one of the few release valves some people have and need. All cultures are safer than they used to be. Steven Pinker. I think the common denominator here isn't religion causing violence. It's the access to information. This was one of the things they taught us in college. Could be completely false. But in places that have the internet, of course there's less violence and there's people actually trying to contribute to the community. Interesting stat here. Number of noise complaints goes up every year in New York City exponentially. Are we self-policing now, becoming tighter willingly? I think people are just becoming less tolerable of mundane shit. All of the ordinary troubles of life have been troubleshooted by Amazon. <laughs> people here schedule in their looseness. Vacation time, you'll get two weeks. But yeah, we're a loose culture. In Japan, they teach their kids Shurakuando. The meaning of this is precise city walking. Go to New York City, <laughs> see a tourist deep-throating a hot dog in the middle of a four-way intersection. Some state companies in China have this mandatory radio calisthenics hour. 
health is tighter over there. They're doing the mandatory injections for years now. Another cool point, tighter nations have steeper stock market trends. So like I said, we are policing ourselves more, and now our stock market starting to look like Six Flags. So I guess that's true. I said there's a bigger opportunity for rule breakers in tight cultures in a very tight economic climate. As long as you got the zero interest dollars coming from the Fed, saying the stock market gets more fucky the tighter you get. Last study for Chapter 3 was the Dunker Candle Problem. It's this Harvard creativity test they were able to apply to different nations. It followed that the amount of entrepreneurs in looser nations is greater as well. They're such loose terms, but now entrepreneurship is being grouped in with policing. Sure, we're loose in America. We're the entertainment capital of the world. You have a high divorce rate as well in loose cultures. And she was saying that loose culture people have better manners. Obviously not within the household. (laughs) I got the highest levels of domestic abuse. You got arranged marriages in India. They're playing flute to each other every night. (laughs) Michelle was saying that Dunker Candle Harvard test. They were able to apply it to LifeLog, which was the thing before Facebook. And they were saying by taking away the like button and putting in hearts when they turned over to Facebook. The CIA bought the domain for LifeLog. You can manipulate people's behavior through their online interactions. And I really don't have to go so far for these points. China has the social credit system, which is coming here. It's the complete way to tighten and loosen your culture as you see fit. Getting a little too much yin-yang into my stars and stripes here. Let's move along. Chapter 4, Disaster, Disease, and Diversity. This one's about epigenetics. Every culture has this hidden underside that comes out in the time of famine or war. USA, we go ape shit when it's time to beat the war drum. I bet Irish people could intermittent fast through several famines. Disaster has a lot to do with population density. If everyone didn't live in cities, there wouldn't be such high casualties. You feel this subconsciously. She said population density is a basic human threat. You start getting uneasy when you feel like a prisoner being processed into a stadium. She was saying stress levels in rats go up when living in close proximity. And they have those lifetime studies where people who live in cities have a shorter lifespan. It could be all the fumes you're huffing or it could be knowing that there shouldn't be stacked 90 stories of humans above your head. She said nations that are threatened by chronic threats of invasion become more closed off. Look at uh, Palestine versus Israel right now. They're not very likable because they've been at war their entire life. (laughs) We're getting less likable my entire life. America has been at war. China built an entire wall around their country. They hated the Huns. Where's the stop Asian hate on that one? When it comes to disease, humans are genetically racist to protect their own. There's that innate feeling of disgust, you know, (laughs) Malcolm Gladwell's inherent biases. This was all to know you don't have the same germs as this other colored guy. So when we didn't have Tylenol, you got to stay away. Think about the 1500s. Rats almost took us out. (laughs) This fear is in our DNA. Oh, shit. Oh, rat. And obviously, I don't, I'm avoiding it, but we're getting turned to be more racist against China because they started COVID. And now India we have to hate because they did the Delta variant. No one cares about this shit anymore. It's, <laughs> the news does, and they're trying to get us to care about it. Psychological operations in tandem with the media know how to play on these innate fears. As loose places, she's saying, people can decide to help one another. All right. There's a study that showed a chain reaction of panic will cue people's brains to sync up. So if you're able to scare people enough, it's easier to get a zeitgeist going or some mass consciousness. You can't do that without the emotion. The Pentagon calls this the threat priming paradigm. And you could also say this is why the Muslims got beat up after 9-11. In theory, diversity would correlate with a country's looseness. 
the more culture, the more patterns of behavior there's going to be. All of these reactions help to discover the hidden patterns of humans. But remember, pattern recognition is racist. Part 2 of the book, Chapter 5, A War Between States. She said discrimination went up during the 2016 election. Or did reports go up? (laughs) She's trying to argue that our culture has become looser since 2018. (laughs) What the? Our vice president is a cop that admitted to smoking weed and locks up other people. But we have a loose culture because a BIPOC is the VP. What the fuck? What do you have to be smoking for postmodern theory to make sense? (laughs) This is cool thing I found out in this chapter. Until 2006, you could be fined $100 for cursing in the state of Kentucky. Certain counties would fine you if you had tattoos. They totally decriminalized sex toys within the past decade. (laughs) Some of these states are lagging behind. Enough of this Singapore. Culture is state-based, for the statists at least. How about every election season, Michelle Gelfand? The weakest state, the least financial one, let's do, gets kicked out of the union. Mississippi, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. We got (laughs) other contenders. We all know that. The 51st state is Israel. I'm thinking Puerto Rico is up for a shot. A couple of these states we could give it to. (laughs) Michelle goes on to talk about city folk and how they're more conscientious, self-disciplined, and this is not a correlation with kindness. It's just that komumaro, the Japanese term for smart walking. The loosest states she considered Maine, Alaska, Hawaii, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. Dixie South, of course, was home to most of the strictest ones. Bigger punishments for violating norms. Not sure if I agree. The culture is different than the policing. If you flip off a driver in the South, they'll follow you and then apologize to you. I'm from New Jersey. Flipping the bird is our state animal. And then you got super loose city cultures like Denver, where people hit each other with their cars. I'm sorry, man. I thought it was bumper cars. So maybe the repercussions for crime in the South is worse. However, the communities are tighter. She said loosest state is Hawaii. (laughs) They have that, like, two-week mandatory quarantine if you want to go on a vacation. I think Hawaii is going to get drafted by Canada to be their new province. Let's switch it up a little bit. This was not part of her book, but Colorado is a very liberal state. And down in Colorado Springs, one of the biggest cities, it's 80% white. And it could be because NORAD is there. It's a bunch of underground shit. It's a military place. It's like how San Diego is Republican in the middle of California. Freedom of association. This is something that libertarians believe in. Neither of the R's or D's do. Media will label you as xenophobic if you want to associate with who you want. The more fear you got, the more social norms you can enforce. Sowing division, 101. Michelle said when Trump won, liberal urban centers tightened up. It's true. I'm going to lose some R's here. But Trump was definitely a net negative for our culture. I'm not saying for how guys are trading in the market or anything. But the lefts have completely... We lost half the country. I can't talk to most people. (laughs) This guy was so polarizing. I don't know. If we're going to do this dumbass system and waste money, you might as well just not rock the boat. Hillary denied gay marriage until 2015. So just know that neither Republicans or Democrats care about your individual rights. The government was made by the Founding Fathers to represent corporations, right? People are really over the culture war. And dunking on wokeness is just so hack now. And I'm saying, everybody's done with the virus shit by now, too. These are the issues of our time. Governments love to play on these perceived threats and pawn people against each other. By using their emotions. Let's go to chapter 6. Classism. What it's really about. Some credit to Michelle here. She said this is a hidden part of most societies. Except for India. Straight up with it. You are an untouchable. It's hidden for a good reason. (laughs) People get really angry when they find out that the top 1% has 70% of the wealth. The media 
is never going to bring classism into your consciousness. You have to watch Peaky Blinders. 2008 to 2011 was a shift in consciousness in America. This was <laughs> the first financial crash during my life. And we have a book on the 2020 crash coming up. 2011, Wall Street. The motto there was, we are the 99%. That's too much of a classist motto. And it got swapped out for, we are the 11% of homosexuals. Everything in the past decade has been rainbow washed, they call it. July 1st, corporations stomp on all the gay pride flags. <laughs> the 11% of gay population isn't the one running away with 70% of the wealth. I don't understand why we're identifying as fruits for a month. Why don't we have a <laughs> workers of America month? These NYU students, they don't understand the nuances of how they're being fucked over. But when you see your Dunkin' wages being used to bail out some guy with an offshore bank account, get a little bit pissed. As violence decreases, class conflict increases. You gotta rewatch The Joker, because that had a lot of really good undertides of classism. I said before, and it's going to be misconstrued, that it's hard to talk to half the country. It is true, though. This is, I'll ground this ramp. In Stalin's time, they called it the convenient idiots they used as drones for the party. Or I just mentioned before, that priming paradigm from the Pentagon. They're using people who think they're woke, whatever that means. You go along with the narrative to radicalize the populace. Those are the real rule makers. <laughs> That's what the book should be called. Rule makers, elite 1% rule followers and then rule breakers when it comes to rule following money can be used to buy you second chances obviously the rich can afford more risk so the rich people are naturally rule breakers it's michelle's claim chicken or the egg did they take the risk to get the wealth or do you get risky after you acquire money in my mind if a corporation is allowed to cheat they get tax subsidies and are allowed to Panama Papers store money in Ireland. This justifies every other Lance Armstrong. Any competitor has just as much of a right to cheat themselves. It's sad to see a professor like Michelle living in a RV park. <laughs> I'm saying here, obviously we attribute the value of the wrong places in society. There's a much bigger incentive in this idiocracy to cheat your fellow man than to try to educate the youth. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you want to call it, the more susceptible to threats you are, the more easier you are to control. You're just suggestible. You're a rule follower. She said as young as three years old, you're able to tell if a kid is a rule follower. What if they get hit on the head? All that could change. Brings up Malcolm Gladwell outliers about raising kids, the kids who go up to the construction workers. Well, what's going on over here? Can I look in the hole? Those are the kids that are going to be successful rather than the timid personality. Bigger picture. <laughs> We're the first generation, I just saw this, to have a lower life expectancy than our parents. And then obviously we're the first generation to have a lower financial expectation. Class mobility is shrinking. Why do you think the working class becomes the working class? Passive is really not good on planet Earth. Even if you're still an animal, you gotta go kill stuff. Negative feedback loops are just what we're analyzing here. Michelle says when an individual straddles two cultures, he becomes isolated from both. It's kind of an interesting point before I end it. Culture shock. This comes from the trauma of being in a new land. I used to like Anthony Bourdain. He talked about Japan being so vastly different from America when you first land there. It starts to re-indoctrinate you a little bit. You can never really float between two things. Michelle reassures before the end of the chapter, you know, there's still a way to ascend. It just might not be the way society or your teachers told you it was. Chapter 7, Tight versus Loose Organization. Pretty interesting story about Mercedes-Benz and Chrysler. 1998, they make this deal saying the U.S. is allowed to manufacture the chassis for the Benz. This is not individual to these two countries. We manufacture most of the Toyota bodies in Mexico. 
which are American-owned factories, of course, outsourcing to warm up this Benz Chrysler partnership. Of course, there was like a royal marriage. One of the execs' daughters married each other. That's not a joke. To warm up, the Germans asked to do a preparatory experiment with the Americans. Like they gave them a bunch of Q-tips and were saying, let's build a bridge together. The Americans were saying our custom to get to know our business partners is... 20 minutes of unstructured conversation. Gotta try to tell your best stories to the Germans so that they trust you. A military exercise they do when you first meet your new squadron or whatever, they have you do these little activities together. So the Germans, the very regimented culture is different than us who just want to chat it up. In Israel, there is this company, Wix, you've probably heard of, but they've kind of came and gone by now. And they made it to the U.S., Israel, super tight culture guy's a multimillionaire pushing a free platform so loose things can come out of tightness <laughs> that's why catholic schoolgirls are so horny that loose and tight organization some people have their maniacal system and it works for them she's also credited with the term tight and loose organization so some people need to have their notepad everything laid out and then some people could be newspaper crumpled on the ground Loose countries have more high-paying CEOs, more of this entrepreneurship. And in the chapter, individuals can be tight, loose, ambidextrous. She also called it structured looseness. Or to sum up this chapter, everybody's different. Let's do chapter 8. Are you T or L? Starts us with what academics call Muppet theory. Because they are very smart. There's supposed to be a dynamic between the Muppets where you could tell which one you are. And yes, the Sesame Streets are Muppets. Are you a Cookie Monster, a Gonzo, an Animal, a Sam Eagle, a Bert and Ernie? Are you gay or a Kermit? Are you a leader? This is some elementary shit. I think I remember when I was five being told that every character in Pooh Bear is a mental disability. <laughs> Tigger is Tourette's. <laughs> By now, you probably know what you are or the balance that you prefer. If not, check with your profession that says most about what people like tighter looseness. Like that thing when you drive to work and you didn't notice, you're making these micro movements. Probably throughout your life, your tight or loose complex is nudging you in the direction that you would like to be. If you still don't know... Do you even notice social norms? Are you so ingrained into the society that you just expect people to follow the bow? Are you impulsive or habitual? Also, you can look into how you take time off or vacation tight and loose. Of course, within that, there's chameleon people who are able to master mimicking norms. We talked about that in emotional intelligence. Some people are really good at actively mirroring what's around them pretty interesting here she said for some cultures it's a learned difference to act before thinking that's why i said america's all about act first think later this is what the funny cultures are up to the warm blood of the italians and those portuguese nuts <laughs> she stopped it pretty briefly here because, I mean, this is just going to allude into racial science. What do they call it? It's critical race theory. But there's another word for when you measure skulls. You're only allowed to tell white kids they're evil. You can't mention how our brains are different sizes. <laughs> different neural margins. You don't have to use a microscope to see self-control within development. I wish you went deeper into that. There are funny and unfunny cultures. Unfortunately, <laughs> America is slowly... In the past three years become a bunch of unfunny Karens. People want to be outraged. People don't want to laugh, which is an involuntary response. They want to be seen for responding correctly to the right thing. I don't know if, I mean, I'm definitely in an environment where you're going to notice this more than anywhere else, but maybe in the office, the people coming back after quarantine, they're just more docile. Or maybe... And I bet you <laughs> they can't crack wise as well around the water cooler anymore either. It's just becoming an atrophied muscle in this goddamn country. Learn how to take a fucking joke. Rage. 
interesting study she ended it on. <laughs> you can watch how Olympians react to see if the culture is tight or loose. The seven-year-old Chinese gymnasts are always, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Michael Phelps had a Big Mac on stage. If the Nigerians ever win, the chicks probably just start twerking. Just like the Muppets, we have our uncontrollable desires and momentary outbreaks. Pardon me. Part 3, Chapter 9, Goldilocks. The Greeks thought that happiness was the biggest indicator of success. For the Buddhists, contentment is the greatest wealth. Our society, spiritual growth, is measured by Chase Bank ATMs. Gotti. Greeks, Romans, they're all about this carpe diem, eat, drink, be merry. The Buddhists are saying as long as you are able to fall asleep without being drunk like a Mediterranean, then you are content. I don't think America, <laughs> the American dream, be bigger than your parents. Every man has the right to the pursuit of happiness. Michelle was saying some find joy in the pursuit, and that's usually the breakers. New fMRI EEG scans were showing how meditation is able to grow the same contentment part of the brain. This is why that Buddhist culture was so into your wealthy if you feel accomplished. I guess we are kind of like the new empire Greek Roman. We are gluttonous and happiness is paramount to anything here. Michelle said rule breakers preferred to delay gratification rather than live in the Goldilocks zone. So again, the rule makers are on the other end of the spectrum and the rule followers are the Goldilocks zone. Some people need to have a routine to make them feel alive. And some people, routines make them want to die. Are you okay waiting to win the lottery? Or would you rather work for a paycheck? This is the whole Goldilocks zone. My boy Aristotle said humans function best when living between excess and deficiency. This is like emotional intelligence we just talked about. Your bandwidth has to be within a certain wavelength. Aristotle says this is when we function best. But Hunter S. Thompson says you do your best work when you're pushing it to the limit. Michelle said the strength of social norms is hashed out by the Goldilocks principle. So how much are you willing to tolerate? How much do you value comfort? You can find out what your Goldilocks zone is like by asking yourself these questions. Nations that are either extremely tight or extremely loose have high suicide rates. No matter how far you go around the political spectrum, both ends mean the exact same. End this chapter. Michelle did a study for what sounds like girl university. She put those EKG monitors on people's brains, and they sent the girls into a closet one by one. And as the closets grew in size, the amount of stress in your brain grows. I read that minimalism book a long time ago, and that's all about this exact study. You get more stressed out when there's all these rooms you have to take care of. As a homeowner, you're waiting on something to break. This EKG is proving that stress comes from opulence. So freedom really is slavery. People don't even know that they want to minimize their choices, even if it is at the cost of all your fellow men. This is exacerbated in the dating scene. We are given the ultimate technology. We could be fucking every single night, getting the best sleep ever. How come people are banging less right now? An overabundance of choice is not a good thing for people. I wonder if Goldilocks got laid. <laughs> Maybe that story was about three gay bears living together to save on rent. Chapter 10, second to last, cultural disorders. She's talking about 2011, the Arab Spring over in Egypt. Their revolution showed being too tight leads to backlash tight and loose changes over time the whole world is trending towards tightness in the u.s i said hung so loose we revolted over a two percent sales tax it's time-based and after a renaissance or an enlightenment things start to loosen up again then we get back into the dark ages 
It's a good name for a chapter. We have a cultural disorder. Every single culture has this disorder. Gary Johnson ran on going back to a sales tax. That would be a way to stabilize the boat when Barack Mubarak increases the income tax with every new country he invades. We're rocking the boat. Is Obama's last name Mubarak? <laughs> we really got to look outside the two-party system, which was warned about for <laughs> more stable ways to live. It's not like we're going to straight anarchy if you vote for a third party. It can actually be a less involved, less taxed option. Some people feel anxiety, she said, from formless situations. Some people feel relaxed. Go back to the Goldilocks zone. Credit Michelle here, she said, Cultures who can't handle freedom revert to overbearing fascism. Damn. How could she say that while being on the side of government-mandated passports? I've been saying this for what you could consider as years now. And 6,000 years ago in Egypt, those people weren't exactly built for independence. <laughs> they still have friggin' pharaohs. Solomani. That sounds like a goddess. Look how the Soviet Union toppled. Within 10 years, they had another oligarchy. Tight cultures think they're maintaining order while they're creating cultural disorders. That's the name of the chapter. All of this authoritarianism makes people lash out in other ways. Why do you think America has a growing number of people hooked on Oxycontin? 30% of people are on opium in this country. Spent pages talking about ISIS, which if you do any research, you know, is not one cultural group. It's like any Islamic state that wants to be in Syria. Media just conglomerates it for this week's terror. It's a cultural disorder, but jihadists think that anyone in government is the devil because they don't follow Islamic law. So obviously NATO has to snuff out this philosophy so that the world government will go over smoother. These are extreme ideas, so we have to circumcise the ends. If you think America, with its rotating political families and corporate revolving door, is a democracy rather than an oligarchy, it's okay. You're not uneducated, you're just well indoctrinated. <laughs> Let's go to chapter 11. Power of norms. Get this. There was a study where programmers tasked two AIs to create their own language. Within a week, they had their own code words and then refined that for a more efficient system to communicate just like people. And then you've heard the one where they made Twitter chatbots go rogue and they started being racist. Maybe robots will be really fun to drink with. From 2000 to 2016, Internet usership increased from 700 million to 3.5 billion. That's half the world made it on the internet within 10 years. What? That is wild. And what I said before, cultures stop killing each other as much when you can watch Netflix. I mean, it's not all good. 40% of kids say that they're cyberbullied. That statistic I found interesting because they didn't even consider it another student bullying them. So yes, of course 40% of kids are trolled online. The other 60% are probably trolled, but they just laugh at it. For all we know, this could be one Chinese kid cyberbullying millions of Americans. <laughs> Michelle said that cultures need to be able to be loose to adopt the internet and need to be tight to harness its power which I couldn't agree less with. The open internet is the best way to access information. But if you have a internet IP address that is given to you at birth, then she thinks we'll have more power in the internet. Yeah, the NSA will have more power to collect your data. If police can't even monitor discourse online, how do you think it's going to play out when the two mobs really meet in the streets? These cycles of humanity, 60s, 70s, 80s, coming back around... It cannot be curtailed. That's just humanity going through these cycles. There are ways to slow it down, speed it up, and astroturf it with those priming paradigms. Young people now see their online routine as their community. I go to this website, see this guy, go to this website. You could be closer to that Chinese bully 
than some kid in your neighborhood. It's kind of amazing that we haven't had another renaissance since the advent of the internet. <laughs> any mind anywhere in the world can connect to another person and share, enlighten a trapped North Korean to what their government is truly doing to them. You could uncult people. You can't spell culture without cult. I mean, people must be getting stupider. All it took was a friggin' painting from Da Vinci in 1500s for people to go, Hey, how come the church is raping our kids? We have the internet right now. We saw Epstein's Island and people are just, Hey, let's not dance in the streets. <laughs> I don't know what it would take to create a new norm, a power of the norms. 1900, the population was 1.76 billion. And by 2050, it's projected to be 9.5 billion. A healthy population for Earth is estimated 50 million humans. She mentioned eugenics and how cultures will want to make other cultures become more like theirs. She didn't admit it. We all know when cultures get too tight, we need to start looking back into how to make everyone blonde with blue eyes. <laughs> or leading towards genocide. That is the current path of humanity. Where was Antifa when Biden signed 70 executive orders? Wrapping up, social norms can help groups to survive in the wild. In society, it castrates individuality, which isn't a bad thing if you want communism. We'll end it on something light. There's this old story. There's a couple fish. They're swimming around the reef, going out for their daily sunning. They approach a couple minnows. The one fish swims up and said, What's the crack, lads? How's the water today? The minnows just look at each other and say, What is this guy talking about? What the hell is water? Most people are blind to the social conditioning and the self-censoring that you do to fit into your own culture. Ask yourself, am I tight or am I Lucy Goose? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Majel Gelfin, for tuning in. You guys rule. Check out the Patreon page. Fun stuff going up there this month. Next week on the show, yo! I'm excited for this one, based on that inaudible noise. William Burroughs. We're heading back to the beatnik generation with Naked Lunch. This had to have been the craziest book I read this year, hands down and maybe the craziest book I've ever read. It is technically a novel. It's societal commentary within a fake city. However, William Burroughs has done every drug on the planet. He's like Hunter S. Thompson a generation before. We did Jack Kerouac on the show. It's going to be a similar theme. I'm excited. You guys should be too. I want to thank you once again for tuning back in. My name is Nick Munez. I'll see you guys in one short week. Take it easy out there.